I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So whilst a chunk of the population struggles to make ends meet, as not only does their job disappear, but perhaps their entire industry sector is on its knees. Meanwhile, city folks are pushing up share prices as though these were the best of times. And others whose jobs have carried on regardless are putting more money into property, with in some places house prices going through the roof, in other places housing roofs are going through the roofs as people put in an extra level on their house as part of a second story extension during the lockdown. So asset prices are going crazy. Is that a problem? If so, just how bad is it? And how do we keep it under control? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So there's there's a theory, isn't there, Steve, that uh, rising asset prices, particularly shares, are good for GDP because when you sell those stocks, you'll have money uh, that can be used to buy stuff, and that is going to help the economy long. That that is certainly the line being used now by central banks, who are helping that, of course, with very low interest rates or negative interest rates. So there's no point in buying uh, government bonds, buy shares. Uh, you know what what could possibly go wrong? Well, of course, what could possibly go wrong is that it has a big impact on. The uh, uh, on income diversity. If you've got rising share prices that only a certain section of society can take part in, and similarly with house prices, you really do get a, a widening rich poor gap, don't you? And that's what's happened. I mean, because it's it's not the poor who own shares. So you'll get this argument every now and then that workers have their uh, have interest in the share market because of their four hundred one k's k schemes in America or their superannuation schemes in Australia and so on, pensions in the UK. But they actually make up a minimum skill proportion of the overall market that fundamentally it's the wealthy who own shares and what you try got mm. here is an attempt to stimulate the consumption side of the economy of making the wealthy feel wealthier uh, when the fact is that they are relatively with the, even with their vast wealth uh, because they don't need to spend as fast as the rest of us and spend on much more esoteric items than we do uh, they they don't consume a large amount the, the bulk of consumption still comes from workers and they're not the ones who are benefiting from the increase in share prices. And yet, central banks aren't concerned about this, are they? I mean, they, uh, they, they, I think they're aware. And, you know, that argument I gave that, well, it, it has a spin-off benefit that it trickles down. I'm trying not to laugh. Uh, they, they use that, they use that as an excuse for saying, well, okay, that, that is a side effect of low, int- uh, low interest rates, but, but we can live with that. And yet, you know, even before we got here, Shares were just continuing to go up. If we look at the earnings per share for the S&P 500 in 1980, it peaked at 50. In fact, uh, sometime around there, it was as low as, 50, as 40. Uh, now it's at 100. In December last year, just before the COVID-19, it, it got a, over 140. So, And this is in real terms. So if you had, uh, say, $30,000 at today's prices in, invested in the S&P 500 in 1980, at the end of last year, that uh, in real terms would have risen to 140,000. So the share market 
doesn't feel like a gamble, does it? It's just a license for passive income for anybody who's got any money or anybody more to the point, anyone who can borrow money. Yeah, and, and, and actually what we're seeing as a result of this is also an increase in the level of margin debt because people are borrowing to lever up the gains they're getting, which are for those who can actually afford to participate in the market, being underwritten by quantitative easing, uh, which began, of course, with the uh, after the global financial crisis, uh, but and has been re- reinvigorated by SAR, uh, by the, the COVID crisis. But each time they're doing it, it's simply pushing up uh, an index which was already, when you look at when, when, when quantitative easing began, it was already at the long-term average. So there was no need. Uh, if, if, you look, if you take the very long view using uh, Robert Schiller's uh, capital uh, cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio, uh, the average is about 15. And that average, of course, includes the hyper overvalued period of the last 30 years. Uh, but when, when, the, when QE was started by, Green, by, by Bernanke during the financial crisis, the, market, the index was at 15. Now, that's the long-term average. Why do you need to push something up when it's already at the average? But that's exactly what the central banks have done. So why have they done it? I would, I would, I mean, it's an obvious question. Why? Why? I mean, they it's, must it's, know that it's it's, it's it's adding to the income gap. Yeah, well, I mean, well, interestingly enough, there was uh, one one of the many useful papers coming out of the Federal Reserve, and I'm, I'm trying to spot it as we talk, but I haven't actually managed to locate it yet. Worked out that there, uh, the the the, ra- the rationale that the Bernanke gave, just to backtrack, the rationale Bernanke gave for QE was to make people feel wealthier and therefore encourage spending out of wealth as well as out of income. And when uh, when that comment was made, uh, there'd already been a, Fe- a Federal Reserve study saying, well, there is no wealth effect for shares. There's a tiny one for housing, but almost none for shares. And yet, of course, QE was directed strictly at the stock market. When it began, the stock market was, uh, this S&P was the wonderful set of points of 666. It's since risen up to the thousands, you know, the, the 3000s level. Um, and yet, it, it was known that there was really not going to be much effect out of this. So I think it comes down to the fact that it's the only mechanism they have. And when you have just one mechanism, a bit like you know, the old story, when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, the, the only way that the Federal Reserve can interact right now with the economy is through the financial institutions. The way they do is by buying and selling bonds off them. Um, this seems to said, well, let's just do more of the buying bonds and see what happens. Mm. And that's about as rich as I think. That's about as intelligent as I can make the policies appear. Well, Eric Rosengren from the uh, Boston Fed admitted to the FT earlier this year that they just don't have the tools to stop firms and households from taking on excessive leverage. So there's a, there's an admission of defeat. You um, you talked about the wealth effect from housing. So what? How does that happen? Because if I buy a multi million dollar property, well, maybe at some point I sell it, and uh, so I've got cash which I, I spend in the economy. So my so my wealth is generated as as spilled back into the economy. But by and large, I mean that's that that's money that's sitting in the house, and unless I it gives me greater equity, so I can borrow and spend more against the house. Is is that where the wealth is being created? Well, I mean the wealth is created by the valuation you put on the house before you sell it. Um, but actually, what's going on behind the wealth effect is probably yet again the credit effect, because uh, the the association of high levels of of uh, house household wealth with high levels of spending uh, is a bit like the, the, the classic um, South Park episode where the the, the garden gnomes go around stealing underpants and the, they have this the three point plan point one steal underpants point two question mark point three profit 
and again, this this is just what seems to happen all the time when you have a set of you know only this one mechanism of buying bonds off the off the private sector. Uh, you go and hope it's going to have the effect you want because it's the only thing you can mm. do. And yet, you know what what do they do to to counter it? That's where they you know when because there are Fed officials that are concerned about asset bubbles and they want to introduce stronger regulatory measures so that presumably i don't know higher capital requirements but i wonder if that's going to make much difference i mean lending overall is down uh, it's just who they're lending to that's the uh, that's the issue it's it's non-productive lending that's uh, uh, you know that, that, that that's going on it's the productive lending that seems to be slowing down i mean what can they do through regu- they sort of like created this mess and then they say well we'll introduce regulatory measures to to try and counter what we've done <laughs> Yeah, I and mean, it's it's you know another classic Rob Cobb, uh, Ronald Cobb cartoon. Pardon me, Senor, does your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Uh, and 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 this again is the situation the central banks find themselves in. If you only have one mechanism, it's the only mechanism you can use. Therefore, you find a reason mm. in your own mind to explain why it's going to work, and you go and do it again and do it again. And now you're caught uh, where the. The, the basic support of the stock market is the yeah. Federal Reserve. And they can't get out of it now, of course. They've created the monster uh, because people are borrowing to buy shares or houses. So they've borrowed so much that if, if banks were to raise interest rates, uh, then, you know, the, the, the greater the risk of default, so they're, they're not going to do it. So how long are we going to be left in this situation where we continue to see share prices rise? And, of course, people keep on investing in the share market because they're thinking, yeah, well, interest rates are going to be next to zero or below it for the foreseeable future, possibly for the rest of our lifetimes, because no one can see a way out. And the more that happens, the more they borrow, the greater likelihood of that's actually what happens in the long term. There's no way of turning this uh, uh, this vessel around, is there? No, I don't think there is. And uh, you, you just you, know, you, you look at stock market valuations, which they're not, they're not the highest they've ever been. If, uh, we're, we're higher now than the peak in 1929, uh, before Black Tuesday, when the cash index was 30. Uh, we're now at 32.32, but the highest was virtually f- pretty close to 45 um, in 2000 during the, the dot-com bubble and the internet bubble. So we haven't quite reached those levels of valuation, but we're very close to it. And yet, of course, there's, the economy is in no way um, similar to the, the the bubble economy of the 90s and, and up to 2000. There was a genuine boom going on there and a genuine level of innovation and investment you know, with the laying out of optical cable and all the internet companies coming in and so on. Uh, there's nothing like it now, but we've got a stock market valuation that is within QE of those levels. And yet we seem to, in the housing market, do whatever we can, don't we, to, to prop it up. So it really is, you know, though, we're doing what we can to help those with money. Um, so the uh, so in the UK, to help the housing market, they introduced a, uh, during COVID-19 a holiday period on, on stamp duty. So fair enough for those people struggling to uh, to pay their mortgages. I'm fully supportive of that. But the idea of a holiday on stamp duty, like this is really the time when we need people to buy houses. Uh, so if you have a, so for the first half a million pounds of a house, you don't pay any stamp duty. And uh, and in August, despite a pandemic, we had the highest monthly rise in house prices in the UK uh, 
in 16 years. In September, the value of loans was 3.2% up on a year ago. So we had a pandemic where it was difficult to look at houses, but we were still selling 3% more than we were 12 months before when times were good, supposedly. And the share of loans for buy-to-let properties went from 13.2% to 14.4%. So they've added to the bubble, if, if there is one in the UK, and there, there is, but not as bad as in Australia, obviously. And we've reduced the proportion of properties that are bought by owner-occupiers. Nice work there, Rishi Sunak. Yeah, and the same thing happens globally. I mean, the whole idea about um, things like a first-time owner's grant brought in Australia uh, back under the, uh, the Hawke government back in 1987, that was, again, their attempt to cover the impact of the stock market crash. So uh, whenever there's a crisis, the easiest thing for the government to inflate is the asset market by policies that encourage people to borrow money. So what you get is amplifying the underlying problem rather than addressing it. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you, know, if you can imagine the state of despair I am in over this because I've been saying, you know, having, running an economy by trying to buy, drive up house prices uh, is totally unproductive way to build an economy. You're trying to get rich by selling secondhand houses to each other. Uh, right. But all it works, all it does, it only works by increasing the level of credit. When you increase the level of credit, you get a higher level of debt. Uh, you get to the stage where people are too leave it out to do anything and then you, you get a crash at that point and again, what's happened after the crashes is the, the government authorities who don't, who don't think the markets behave this way are the ones who are amplifying its behaviour in that direction. When they come back in, they turn government's money creation capability. Uh, QE is not actually money creation, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's encouraging a rebalance, a, a reallocation of the portfolios of, of uh, banks and financial institutions to buy more shares and less bonds, which is driving up share prices, and they can do it indefinitely. So it's, mm. you, you see an imbalance caused by a market system they don't understand, and they've added to that with the powers of the state that they, they also don't understand. But this driving up of debt continues, of course. I mean, and you've been talking for a long time in Australia about, you know, that the house prices are going to crash because there is just too much debt in the economy. And yet, well, okay, during the pandemic, the, the second quarter of 2020, Sydney house prices fell 2.2%, but they are still 8% up on the same point a year before. So, I mean, still, I mean, the house price index is at 165.9, according to the ABS. A decade ago, it was it was below 100. So, uh, they just continue, despite everything, Sydney house prices continue to rise. Look, I I moved out. One of the reasons I moved out of Sydney was because I couldn't afford to buy a house there anymore. I know lots of other people in the same boat, and yet those house prices keep on going up. Yeah, and I think the government policy is all directed at, uh, at preventing the fall because the partly because the political power of people who own those houses is so great. The government... Uh, basically panders to them. And, of course, if you look in the Australian case, I think the the average number of houses owned by members of parliament is about three. So in that sense, you've got the, the group which is voting for these policies in terms of supporting the housing market uh, being direct beneficiaries of it. Yeah. And the, 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 you, you're getting what I think is going to be a generational breakdown because the only way 
that this can be sustained is by making it impossible for the young to buy houses. Now, as the young become 35 and 40 and still can't afford to buy houses, then at some point you'll get a political, potentially a political shift and say, we've got to end this policy. But it can keep on going indefinitely because the state has indefinite capacities to create the spending power, stroke money, uh, that's needed to keep those asset prices rising. Well, the, and that's what they've done. Yeah, but how does it keep going? Because the average housing loan last year was uh, a little over $400,000, 408987 to be precise, in July. That's in Australia. In yeah. Australia. Yeah. Uh, the average yeah. household income was 66000 So the average loan was uh, over six times household income. How can people afford to do that? And yet they keep on buying. Yeah. And because, again, you, you know that the government's going to come in and, and give policy changes that will support people continuing to get into the market. So it's it's become you know it, this is why people talk about the K-shaped recovery. The economy has gone down. The the stock the stock markets and the housing markets have gone up. And um, mm. I mean, it, if if we had if there were if if the central banks had two alternative mechanisms, then it'd be very hard to justify just using one of them all the time. Uh, now the mechanism they've got is buying bonds off the financial sector, which puts money. It takes paper assets out of the hands of the banks and puts money in its place. Uh, but the paper assets were earning income. The, 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 the cash they get is not. So that's an encouragement to use that cash in the finance sector in general to do an asset swap from the reserves, which aren't any interest now, and the bonds you can't buy anymore back into the shares, which drives the share prices up. How long can um, this go on for? Well, potentially indefinitely because the, the creation of, of – of, buying power by the Federal Reserve is an accounting operation. And at least here, I've seen some awareness of how the banking system operates from both Bernanke and, uh, and Greenspan, because, and also the uh, Powell as well. They've simply said, we just do book entries. We put an entry uh, in the case of uh, QE under under, under Bernanke, $80 billion per month, which is roughly a trillion per year, uh, is a positive entry in the liability accounts we have at the central bank, which are the deposit accounts of the, of the private banks. And we then take uh, the assets of them, which are $80 billion worth uh, of face value bonds, and we can do it indefinitely. And that's what they've been doing. And then, of course, with the increase in the amount of reserves that the financial sector holds, which are non-incommoning assets, that encourages the financial institutions to buy shares, uh, which drives up share prices. Of course, it, the reserves stay in the system because they're just changing who who holds that money in the banking system. Uh, the reserves of the banks yeah. don't fall, but the pressure is there to buy shares. And we drive shares, you know, through, pardon the joke, but we drive share prices through the roof, ex- except that the roof itself has been driven up by all the actions of, uh, of the government sector to stop house prices from so, falling as well. Okay, but how does that translate to hand pr- house price? Because it's, it's, surely at some point p- people are going to say, well, okay, the, but the value of this of, of the property, because I mean, when a bank assesses the value of a property, when you get it, when you take out a mortgage, the bank says, okay, well, we need to value the property. And they base that on, guess what? Recent sales in, in your area. How were those <laughs> recent sales in your area determined? By the bank coming along and assessing the value of the property. So the banks are assessing the value of the property based on previous values of properties from previous bank evaluations. So no wonder it's going up all the time. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they actually looked at the, maybe the, the growth over a period, maybe they would come to a different conclusion and say, well, how can a, a property be worth 25% more than it was a couple of years ago? But they don't seem to work along, along yeah, but those this, lines. This, this partly, I mean, where, where's the problem coming from? And that is the, the, the ultimate source of this problem is that we believe a particular class of prices increasing is good, which is asset prices. 
mm. whereas it, other, other class of prices increasing we believe is bad, which is consumer prices. Okay? Now, that factor is partly behind why you know, falling share prices are seen as a bad idea and rising consumer, consumer prices are, falling, are, are, are a good idea. Mm. It's, a, it's a schizophrenia about how we approach different price sets. And the stock market uh, is a, a classic in that case because the the belief that the the share prices are based on fundamental value and long term returns only works if there's some sort of link between the share prices and the prices of the underlying goods which are being sold. That's turning up in the consumer price index. We're driving one down towards deflation, the other one's rising toward inflation. It's simply unsustainable unless the gap is filled by the government sector, which is precisely what's happened. But it's happening, though, isn't it, through commercial banks? They're the ones that are actually driving the these prices up. Obviously, banks don't want you to default on your mortgage, so it's in their interest, isn't it, to see prices going up all the time. So they, they make noises about saying, well, we've got to assess the value of your property, but they're going to be very generous in that because they don't want Want to, they don't want to talk the, the market down. They, they want to continually talk it up because if they start talking it down, then they're going to have people defaulting on loans. Yeah, and you, you have a, a, a – I mean, we have the, the old comment from General Eisenhower, President General Eisenhower, um, about the military-industrial complex ruling American policy. But I think the real danger we have these days uh, has been the politico um, financial complex because both the politicians and the financial sector are in favour of rising asset prices. And then with that grouping in charge of policy, both for housing and for uh, share prices, uh, you've got upward pressure on both of them above and beyond what the market and the credit system would impose on their own. So how do we get over this dichotomy then? When, when there's, a, there's a crisis, interest rates drop to buggery, which means rich people can borrow more to buy more shares or buy more investment properties to rent out to poor people. Basically, those who've, uh, who've got some money make money. Those without, well, they struggle. And yet those with money, you know, would have sailed through the pandemic somewhat better than those without much. And yet we seem to be pandering to them rather than the people who are really struggling. How do we get over that? I, it, it has to involve some sort of breakdown, whether that's a political uh, consensus collapsing because the majority of voters end up being people who can no longer afford to buy housing. And therefore you get a political uh, party which can actually campaign for falling house prices and taking house price supports away. I think that's uh, that may happen, but it will happen so late in the game it's it's ridiculous. Uh, and you need and possibly in an alternate universe. Yeah, if, poss- if the universe is 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 so big that anything is possible, then maybe you're right. Hopefully, there's a planet where that has happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in the share market, you uh, with. With central banks only having a conduit to the financial sector, uh, all their mechanisms for solving anything involve giving money to the financial sector. And that's what they've been doing with the QE, uh, both uh, after the rescue of the global financial crisis and now after COVID. So that then ends up massively increasing the amount of money that's going into the stock market, driving up stock market prices. So how does this play on an international scale? Because, um, you know, when a a central bank buys up government bonds in large amounts, it it weakens the currency. So uh, what does that – why does that happen? And what does that do to an economy? And what does that do to to asset prices in that Well, it doesn't necessarily weaken the economy. I mean, again, if you have uh, people – looking at a booming economy where the boom is caused by an inflated asset market, that's a reason to push the the, uh, the value of the currency up, not down. So the, the, mm. the mechanisms that people think that are there to, to, to dampen all this stuff 
often end up amplifying and so talk me through the how, how that happens then let's look at uh, let's look at the united states for example where you've got a weakening us dollar by and large over uh, over the covid crisis and you've got share prices that are just through the roof with a uh, obviously with a, a an interest rate which is as close to zero as you can also i mean what you've often had in the past is what they call the the flight to the dollar effect when there's a panic on any any scale the easiest thing for for people to do is to put their money into the american market and come off and buy those shares at the same mm. time which means you've got an increasing demand for the american dollar which ends up in, you know causing the dollar to rise once more so there's no guarantee that a crisis even in america is going to cause the american dollar to fall in value so where does all this end do we, where does the bubble burst you've had you've had uh, you've had an attempt mm. to suggest when it might happen in australia and you're wrong on that because the government mm. just kept on introducing more and more measures and what's what's going to cause the bubble to burst how, how is it all going to go pear-shaped well I th- i've got a feeling it's not going to be anything less brutal than something as drastic as climate changing in us and and then the whole issue about uh, you know sustaining high house prices uh, would be a third and fourth order priority for any government that exists at the time so i, I think we're we're pushing ourselves into a corner, and the only way out is is going to be something as drastic as being forced to drastically reduce the level of economic activity, courtesy of climate change. It does feel like we're pawns in the game a bit, doesn't it? That um, that mm. people are putting their money, for example, into houses, uh, which are possibly overpriced, driven there by a, an agreement from a bank that they can borrow that much when they probably can't. Uh, and yet you've got no recourse to the, the bank. The banks are, you know, supporting this Ponzi scheme for property. Real estate agents are in on it too. Uh, you get hit if you if, if the value goes down uh, and you uh, and, and therefore you no longer have the equity or you lose even if you don't default on the loan uh, or the bank makes a call on the money. You, you still don't have the equity that you you might have negative equity, equity as a result of all of this. You're you're worse off as a result of uh, the banks colluding with the real estate industry to keep prices high. And yet you've got no recourse to action on all of that, which somehow seems uh, idealistically wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And again, it's because we have these two systems of prices. We have con- consumer price prices where the attitude is that, you know, def- falling consumer prices are, are good, uh, are better than rising consumer prices. Uh, there's, there's complaints when you have high levels of consumer price inflation, but asset markets are seen, seen as a positive. And and that's played into our not just to our politics but into our government policy as well see this this k-shaped recovery was going on even before the virus so what about putting some sort of uh, limitation then on on share prices and house prices so for example the uh the the share market in china can only move a certain amount uh uh, on a on a daily basis maybe we could apply the same thing and similarly with house prices you know i mean okay you might have added to the capital of a uh, value of a property because you've added to you know you've added an extension or whatever but you could take that into account but generally saying well actually you know house prices can only go up a certain percentage each year so uh, so you have to accept that when you buy a property uh, it, there's an upper limit on how much you're going to make on it yeah, um, and it, it actually comes down to what do these markets do? And I've just noticed recently Yanis Varoufakis has been saying we should effectively abolish, um, not quite abolish, it's not quite that, that over, overstated, but uh, get rid of the stock market because it doesn't do anything productive anyway in the economy mm. because we have this vision that you know, buy, the share market is where new capital is created for investment. But the reality is, first of all, that the vast majority of transactions on the stock market are secondary sales of shares. They're not yeah. 
the sales don't give any money to the companies whose shares are being sold. And and secondly, there's such a level of retirement of shares, particularly with share buybacks now, that in, in net terms, rather than increasing the amount of financial capital in existence, the stock market is actually helping to destroy it. So I, I wouldn't, if we're going to have a stock market at all, it should be doing what people think it does, and that's providing capital to enable new investments to take place. So mm. one proposal I made back ages ago, I talked about a, a jubilee for debt relief, but I also proposed the idea of Jubilee shares, and yeah. that is that you would have shares which, when they're first issued by the by the company, uh, then they have a, a, a perpetual life. So if you buy the shares and hang on to them, you continue getting returns from them and you get the, the benefit of the rising price. But the money, of course, when you bought the shares went to the company itself. Once you sell the shares, they should go onto the secondary market and have a life of something like, say, 25 years. So you know that the long-term outcome of a, of, a, of a share on the secondary market is going to be zero. And the only thing worth factoring in is, the, is, the, is whether its value is above or below its competitors in terms of its current cash flow. So it's something that, that meant that the secondary market became less important. I actually said 50 years, by the way, not 25 is a bit too short. But right. have, have a way... Because yeah, it would so, just lose a, value over that, uh, over that yeah, period of time. Yeah, let it be known that uh, once a share is, is sold, when a share is bought off a company, then the sky's the limit, which means that the company performs well, the share continues rising, and the purchasers of all were giving money to the company in the first instance. But once it's on the secondary market, it's going to have a, a terminal price of zero. So your only basis for buying it would have to be something about its uh, mm. the, the expected return on that company being higher than the interest rate and therefore worth your while to get into it for them to, to, to buy it in the meantime of, of another trader but set it up in such a way that there's no long-term desirable feature about about buying a share because at the moment all shares last forever as long as the company itself lasts for what, what, what if you, which makes, sort of makes sense. You would, can't see anyone wanting to hang on to shares on the secondary market for too long on that on that basis. What if you just said, well, shares are not transferable. If you if you want to sell it, you've got to sell it back to the company that sold it to you in the first place. And uh, and then they resell it. So they, they would benefit from any increase in value. I haven't. I can't say I've thought that one through. That's obviously a, a dobby brainwave on the on on the airwaves, and I think it's a damn. It's, it's mm. definitely one worth exploring, because uh, if you if you only resell yeah. to the to the company you bought it off. Um, but something like that that said that said that when you sell it, you've got to sell it back to the company uh, rather than to the to a, a secondary trader. When I remember having, I've got a, a wonderful brother-in-law, uh, well, several brother, wonderful brothers-in-law, but this particular one established a self-managed super fund and was explaining to me why he and his wife had decided to invest in uh, cochlear shares because they liked the company. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that any cochlear shares you buy will give precisely zero dollars to cochlear. Uh, because they're bought on the secondary market. It's only the initial share offering uh, that actually creates that uh, initial public offering that has the money going to the issuer of the shares. We need to redesign the stock market so that that does happen, uh, that the, the, the IPOs and, and share issues and actual raising of genuine capital become what the share market does rather than a secondary gambling den. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what do we do about house prices then? How do we, how do we, I mean, surely you could just place a cap, just say, well, okay, house prices cannot grow by more than a certain percentage each, well, each year because it's unhealthy for the economy. Well, my proposal there you, you, it was clever when I was a kid um, because it, it comes out as the, the, the abbreviation for it as the pill, which meant something back in the 
60s and 70s, uh, 70s and 80s, uh, but it stands for Property Income Limited Leverage. And the real danger, and this applies to the share market as well, the real danger is that the the, the main cause of the increase in price is additional leverage. And when you think about uh, people competing over buying a house, uh, even if you're looking at being out by a house to live in, the person who wins the competition generally speaking, well, the person who's more levered. So we have an encouragement to want the banks to offer a high level of leverage to us because if you get a higher bank loan than the next person, you can bid more at the auction and therefore you get that particular house that you want. So my proposal was to uh, bring in a limitation not based on the uh, supposed income of the borrower, but on the income earning capacity of the building being purchased. And this is where we've got a huge disconnect between uh, house prices and rents these days, because house prices mm. to rents, are much, the ratio is much higher than it used to be. But set it up in such a way that the maximum amount of money you can borrow is some multiple of the annual rental income of the property. And then in that case, rather than uh, the person who borrows more money having an advantage over the other, nobody can borrow more than, say, 10 times the annual rental income of the property being purchased. So the person who wins is the ones who brings more of their own money to the table, uh, which means you get a negative, uh, a dampening relationship between uh, house prices and leverage. At the moment, you get an but amplifying how you, relationship. How do you assess if it's if it's a, if it's a property though that is you're you're buying to live in? How do you assess? Oh, there's, there's, what the uh, the rental value. There's is? plenty of uh, the statisticians produce what they call the imputed rental uh, standard. So right. you, you have a calculations you can do about the the rental uh, valuation of individual property which is owner occupied. So in, working out that is not a difficult right. thing for statisticians. But that is controlled by people's ability to pay. Uh, that rent, which you would be, if you're buying a property as an investment property, you'd already be doing that calculation, wouldn't you? You'd say, well, it's not worth me paying over the odds if I'm not going to be able to rent it out. I mean, people would be doing that in their minds anyway, wouldn't they? Well, the and, trouble and is yet- at the moment, they, 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 because they expect the price to appreciate, they're willing to take it on even when it's a losing proposition on the rental. No. Now, if you set it up in such a way that the, the main source of demand, was, which is credit for house buying, was capped uh, with, with respect to the income flows of the economy rather than the asset valuations, then you could end that. I think that would end the bubble. The trouble is, politically, it's absolutely poisonous because the dominant political class these days are home, homeowners uh, and, and uh, landlords, and they're the ones who set the policy. And the last thing they want is anything which would stop house prices continuing to right. rise. But if, you, if you've only got one property which you're living in, you'll, you'll be less concerned about that unless you're expecting to cash out later in your life and, and, and live off it, which I suspect a lot of retire, you know, potential retirees are, are planning the, 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 their latter years. Get a big house, sell it, live off the, live off yeah. the, the benefits from that. And that's become the attitude in, in families as well, you know, inheritance in the family and so on. So it's it, it's just this. We, we have a set of mechanisms which uh, ensure we over time want to have more leverage uh, for buying asset prices. Uh, well, there's no leverage involved in buying consumer prices. So we get a combination of high asset prices and high leverage. And so then it changes, that- of course. Yeah, it changes, of course, over time. If the if the people benefiting uh, the most are uh, an increasingly small proportion of the population, it becomes easier for the rest of the population to say, well, we need to do something about this and, and we need to start introducing regulations like this. I think that's going to happen. I mean, because the age at which people can afford to buy a house now has risen and risen. As you said, you weren't a young bloke when you 
decided to give up on Sydney. Um, so there yeah. is a, a rising number of people who th- whose vote would be in favour of reducing house prices rather than increasing them. So it, it's possible, but of course it's it, you're relying upon generational change for. Uh, and it's it's a long way in the future before that happens. And if we look at long-term time series like the uh, the time series for the Herengrach Canal in Amsterdam, which I think starts back in 1628, uh, we can see that it, over the very long term, there have been periods where there have been 70 years of rising house prices and 50 years of falling house prices. Um, so... Uh, but we're, we're certainly in one of those periods where house prices are rising all the time and people can never see them turning around. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've given up on expecting any um, uh, chance of that happening in in economies which are completely obsessed with the housing bubble, which Australia is the, the, the classic example of. Um, so you've got to wait for some sort of crunch to come along. And even COVID wasn't enough of a crunch because then... The, the government supports to go back in there worked and you have of course had the reversal of the rather than condemning banks for a responsible ending we're now encouraging banks back into a responsible mm, yeah, ending that's so. right just get those interest rates lower and lower it's 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 the houses and holes syndrome in australia's case you had holes in the ground and houses to sell over but what it means is you don't have a you, you're not worrying about the manufacturing sector you're not worrying about your capabilities to actually produce goods and services uh, but in fact that's what gives you a defined economy. So we have a distorted economy, less capable of producing for its own needs. And COVID was at least one warning that you need to have that. You you shouldn't outsource the capacity to produce face masks. Um, climate change will make it even more extreme. You can't, you can't offshore production. Uh, now, in the case of countries like Australia with this massive housing bubble, uh, they would have to build a manufacturing sector virtually from scratch if they're mm. forced to by climate change. Yeah. All right. Well, that's okay. a discussion for another day. Good to talk, Steve. Catch okay. you again Bye. soon. And that is the Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back again with Steve Keen next week. Thanks for listening. See you then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.